Hello, I'm TJ and welcome to my garden. Listen along as we explore the art and science of gardening. You can leave feedback for the show at 661-368-5177 or visit our website at tjsgarden.com. Hello and welcome to week 48. Uh, This week I wanted to talk about kind of a weird subject. It's something that I've danced around a little bit in other episodes and so I wanted to sort of set the stage, as it were, for future episodes that may deal with the topic a little bit more. Uh, I wanted to talk about sort of the intersection of gardening and the open source software movement. Um, So a little bit of background on what open source software is and my relationship to it. Uh, A gentleman named Richard Stallman uh, formed the GNU Foundation. He had actually formed the GNU Project before that. I used to know all this stuff by memory, but it's been years. Um, But basically, he, uh, he wanted to create software that was not only free to use, there was already software like that out there. The I believe the BSD project actually preceded him a little bit, and they had written code that was under a license that basically said you can do whatever you want with this code, right? The the programming software, like the, the code that makes the software you use, in case you're not familiar with computers, um, can be either proprietary, which means a company owns rights to it. They compile that code into the programs you use, so Microsoft Windows, all Microsoft's products are pretty much all proprietary. Uh, mostly Apple software, except for some of their core stuff, like the main core parts of their operating system. A lot of that's proprietary. And so what they do is they, they take the uh, all the, the code and they compile it and they give you that compiled bit without the code. So you can't edit or change or whatever the software and recompile it to be something else. Um, and so Stallman's idea was to take the kind of openness you see in like the BSD license, but make that persistent. So if I take code under this new license, which is called a copyleft, which is the the GNU GPL, uh, general public license, I believe is how that expands out. Uh, if you take that code and you edit it or change it or add it to some other program or software, the new code has to be under the same license as well. So you can't take open source code under a GNU GPL and use it to create a program that is not itself under the GNU GPL. Okay, so hopefully I haven't lost everybody there. I know my audience isn't all gonna be former computer people who have become pro or gardeners, so um, I'm trying to hopefully explain it as simply as I can. Uh, but if anybody isn't following it or anything, just leave me a comment. I'll explain further in future episodes. But basically, that's that's the core, right? So you had this guy who wanted to create software that anybody could share and use and modify and edit and change and do all kinds of fun stuff with it. And he never got the entire operating system working quite right, uh, but he did eventually create most of it. And then another guy created the last bit, which is what we know as Linux wrap his software around that, and you get the GNU Linux operating system that you've probably heard about in the news at some point. Big deal in the 90s. These days, it's actually underlying a lot of the hardware you use, like the Android phones you buy, things like that. It's there. It's just the core part. It's the stuff under all the fancy, flashy stuff on the top. 
Um, but anyway, that's that's what open source software is. It's software that you can freely edit and change and share and do whatever you want with. That's what open source means in programming. Um, in hardware, there is a movement towards kind of an open source thing, but that basically just means that like the schematics, the plans, the designs, you're not patenting things and you're not restricting it. You're making those designs open and available for other people. Um, and so it only kind of applies to hardware. Uh, what people call open source hardware is really almost a different concept and structure, um, but it's the same spirit. And truth be told, that spirit has been in gardening for years, right? We, we clone our plants, we propagate them with seed, and we share that with each other freely. And if I give you a cutting off my plant, I know full well that in a few years you may have a plant big enough to give cuttings to other people that you can then propagate it further and do whatever you want with it. Um, and even though there are various ways to lock that down with plant patents and utility patents and um, genetic patents and all the other fun ways you can patent things, the uh, various ways you can register and patent rose varieties so you can't propagate some of the newer rose varieties because that's technically illegal. Uh, that is a thing in gardening as well. Um, I think if you understand that, you understand what free software is. Now, of course, there's a disconnect because with, with gardening, we generally aren't dealing with source code. Sometimes we are. Um, if you're talking about, say, the uh, hardware controlling your irrigation system, or something like that, or any other kind of automated stuff out in the garden, or the software you use to track your garden, the uh, databases and spreadsheets and everything like that, those can be open source as well. Um, and that is where one of the big areas of intersection is actual computer hardware and software, where the term open source really applies, and that their application to gardening. And then you have the broader ideas of like seeds and things like that. Um, so I come into this in the 90s, uh, I was a teenager, and then in the early 2000s, I found out about Linux. Um, I had a 486 originally, and it was starting to get a little slow. We couldn't afford a new computer. But I popped Linux on there in a, another partition, and I was able to do quite a bit with that computer for a while until we finally got a Pentium. Uh, and then things kind of progressed from there. I was I was heavily into Linux and the whole sort of movement behind it. Um, I went Ubuntu first came out and they were, you know, giving away the free discs that you could then share with other people. I ordered a bunch of them and shared them all over the place. Um, I did that with a lot of the free software discs that were available. And it slowly petered off as I got into actually, you know, working in sort of blue collar technical work. I did a lot of installation work, a lot of break fix work. I'm um, going out and fixing people's computers by just swapping out parts or Later on, uh, working with uh, telephone lines and DSL lines and even security systems further on. So it was all stuff that used my computer skills, but it wasn't directly information technology, you know, IT, that sort of thing. It was, it was peripheral to it. Um, and I did that for many years. And eventually I got laid off. And at the time, I had just had a new daughter. Um, my girlfriend and I were living with my parents because I'd moved out of my apartment to try and save money to hopefully buy a house, something I still haven't done. And I got laid off. And my girlfriend talked me into going back to school. I went into uh, their uh, crop science program. I ended up getting a degree in, uh, I believe it's a plant sciences degree with a crop science focus. It's only in associates, but it was something. Um, and 
went into professional gardening <laughs> and have been doing that since, uh, trying to kind of build up my resume and work my way up, pay my dues as it were. So open source software was a big part of my life in the 90s and in the 2000s. Not huge now. I'm still kind of involved with some of it. I don't do programming, really. I was never much of a programmer. I was a decent advocate, you know, somebody who was nuts about the stuff, who would share it with other people. I could tweak things here and there with programming, but I, I never was that good of a programmer. I know the basics. That's about it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I intersect with it, I guess. Now, how does gardening as a whole, well, obviously the seeds and that, and if you've been following the show, if you listen to my other episodes, if you haven't, by all means do so. Um, but if you've been listening to the show up to now, you know, I've done an interview with a genetic engineer who utilizes a lot of open source hardware and stuff, and he's trying to make his lab as open as possible so people can see how this is done, how the technology works. Uh, he's trying to find ways to you know, open up classes and stuff to teach people about the technology. So he's trying to be very open with this as well in that same open source spirit. And in fact, I met Sebastian on a, uh, on a system. It's, uh, the, if you go to sdf.org, the website, I'll post a link in the show notes, the SDF is an open source Linux, or not Linux, but a Unix shell account system. You can sign up for an account there, log in, play around with a Unix system, play around with all the other stuff they've got set up there. It's kind of a technological wonderland for people who enjoy a little bit of retro computing, a little bit of open source technology, and a few slightly cutting edge-ish things. Um, I've been a member for couple of decades now and Sebastian was a member for quite a while as well I don't know if he's still on there I haven't seen him on there but that's how we met um and then you know I talked to Craig LaHoulier they're talking about the open source seed initiative which is another attempt to keep things open in their case they're trying to apply that sort of copyleft uh open source methodology for software that the licensing specifically they're trying to find a way to apply that to garden plants um the idea being that if I produce a seed variety out of my garden, if I, if I breed a plant, I can pledge it to the OSSI, the Open Source Seed Initiative, as an open seed variety. And then from that point on, I have a license there that basically says that you can take these seeds and grow them. You can use them for breeding projects. You can do whatever you want with them. But neither you nor I am ever going to file a patent on traits in those plants. I'm not going to file pamp a plant patent. I'm not going to file a utility patent. Um, utility patents being essentially patents on some genetic trait or feature of a plant. I'm not going to apply for any of that stuff. I'm agreeing to it and I'm asking that anybody who uses these seeds also agree to it. Now the license is in theory uh, defensible. In practice they haven't actually had a test of it just yet. It's been close to tested but not quite. Uh, the same is true of a lot of open source projects where companies just aren't willing to push it because they don't actually know if they could win that legally and it may be a disaster for them. Um, so, so far, it stood up, but it hasn't, again, been heavily tested. But there's also just so much more cool open source stuff. There's also some silly open source stuff uh, with, uh, with gardening. Um, one thing that's out there that's gotten kind of mocked a lot on Facebook, although I think kind of unfairly, is FarmBot. Um, if you go to farm.bot, I believe is their website, which is weird. I didn't know that bot was a top-level domain. Um, but if you go there, the, the project they have is it's basically like a CNC machine, right? It's this big kind of moving robotic arm 
that moves over a raised bed and it can water your plants. It can uh, plant seeds. It can plant transplants. It can uh, weed. It can do all kinds of maintenance stuff. It can monitor the plants. It can check the soil, everything. You can automate a sizable portion of gardening <laughs> with this system. And it's kind of expensive. I mean, it's not, in, it's not hugely expensive, but it's a little pricey. And it gets mocked for that. And it gets mocked for something gardeners don't need. Now, on that second topic, I actually am trying to get an interview going with them because I want to talk about that, like what the applications are, why gardeners would want this when it essentially replaces them. <laughs> because I garden, because I enjoy gardening, why would I want a machine to do that for me? Um, I definitely see some applications for the technology though, but I kind of want to hear it from them what they think these applications are. That So I'm working on an interview there, but Nonetheless, it's mocked, and the thing is, it's all open source. You can get all the schematics for all the hardware, build it yourself. Uh, the computers in it are Arduinos, which are an off-the-shelf controller system thing you can buy. That's reasonably priced. Uh, Raspberry Pi is another part of that package. It's a little mini computer. That's also reasonably priced. You can get both of those and put the free software on there, build all, all the other hardware that's attached to it, and have your own system. You don't have to pay them for anything. Um, it's open source as well. There is also, on the silly side of things, um, IKEA released a, I think they were calling it a vertical farm or something like that. It was called the Grow Room, I believe. It was a spherical wooden, um, they, they call it like a grow room or all kinds of other stuff. I would say it's just a plant stand, in all honesty. Um, they kind of had these grand plants. And, you know, like a lot of these design projects that you see flashed around but when you look into them it's you know a bunch of architecture students or something they don't really know anything about gardening or farming and they think they're sparking these big conversations and urban farming and everything else and they're really not um but that's kind of what's going on with this as well but it is a interesting plant stand it's a big spherical one you could actually build and put on your patio and the plans for it are open source i'll link to them in the show notes so it's totally usable, and it, it actually does have a use. It's not, I don't think it's as grand as I think it is. I don't think this has any application to urban farming, uh, other than maybe seed starting. But you'd probably want to wrap the whole thing in poly if you're going to do that, like seed starting in a you know colder weather. Um, you could make a spherical greenhouse out of it. I think there, there's some applicability in that. But basically, it's just a giant plant stand. But I'll post show notes. It's kind of cool. You can build it if you basically get a bunch of plyboard sheets and you have some basic wood, um, you know, woodworking tools as well as a CNC machine, uh, which sounds like expensive, but you don't have to own a CNC machine. You can find a makerspace if you live anywhere near a major city. And a lot of those um, you can become a member of and just pay your membership dues and have access to their tools. So this is actually something people can practically do. Uh, the same is true with FarmBot. You could get a, you know, find a makerspace that has tools that you can use for a membership fee. Sign on, build yourself a FarmBot if you want. Um, that's what's really cool about this is you can get this stuff, you can get this information, use it however you want, modify it however you want. The only thing is you can't then turn around and sell it to somebody else and not give them access to the same information you had. Um, it, that's where the open source methodology kicks in is, I'm sharing with you. You need to share with everybody else as well. You can't lock it up afterwards. Um, and so I'm not doing this episode to say that open source ideas like this are going to be a major part of the show. Um, 
but it is a thread. I'm always going to be talking about them wherever I see them in gardening. I'm always going to sort of reach out and find out more about what's going on with it and uh, bring it to you guys and share it because that's what it's there for. And like I said, you know, <laughs> it was it was a part of my life at one point. And as a gardener, I feel that that kind of attitude is still a part of my life because even though I would love to sell some plants. Um, I do still share with people. I'm more than happy to grow out plants to sell and also to occasionally share with friends of mine. There's no contradiction there for me. Um, gardeners help gardeners. That's what we've always done. And that's what these kind of technologies enable us to do. So I hope that was interesting. Um, if you guys want me to talk more on the subject, I can. If you know of any cool projects like that that you want to share with other people, let me know. I'll plug them on the podcast if I get a chance. Uh, but yeah, that, this is a shorter episode. I just kind of had that floating around my head and I just wanted to get it out there. Um, so stay tuned. I'm definitely going to keep following up with uh, Mark over at the FarmBot Project and try to get that interview out there for you guys. Um, I'm also going to continue doing the normal episodes I do, book reviews, yada, yada. So stay tuned. Uh, so go out and enjoy your garden, guys. Thank you so much for listening. That wraps it up for this week. You can follow everything we're doing over at tjsgarden.com. And the best advertising we can get is word of mouth. So please share this show around with your friends uh, directly or via social media. Have a great day, guys, and enjoy your garden.